Welcome to the Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics with Reese Tiefertiller. Hello everyone. Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics Podcast. Reese Tiefertiller, special guest Shane Hallam. Shane, how's it going? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, man. It's uh, it feels like the season's kind of flown by. So we're we're getting to the college football championship games, conference championships, and we're uh, you know getting to the end of the NFL season. Uh, I'm feeling good. Oh yeah. So your beloved Steelers dropped two straight, and with that, the AFC playoff uh, picture is kind of opening up. What are your playoff predictions for either side conference championship and super bowl yeah you know it's been a tough couple weeks here in pittsburgh but uh you know talk radio is having their way with with the team so um um you know i i think it's i think it's really interesting to see uh kind of what's unfolding in the two conferences like to me looking at it and i've had some people disagree but i feel like the afc is kind of stronger top to bottom. Uh, obviously, the Chiefs are in a class by themselves, but I, I think that next, you know, group of um, seven is pretty good, and someone's going to be on the outside looking in. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I fully expect the Chiefs to make it back to the Super Bowl. I, I think they're pretty clearly, even though the defense has dropped some, some games. Um, you know, that offense is so good that uh, even when Patrick Mahomes throws that rare three interceptions, you know, they can come back and beat Miami, a playoff team. I think it's going to be tough to beat them. I think the NFC is a little thinner. Uh, you know, I think we're looking at the Packers, the Saints, the Seahawks, the Rams, maybe. Uh, and, and I feel like, you know, the NFC East isn't going to make it too far. They'll have to get pretty lucky, whoever wins that division. And, you know, I think I think even the other wild card ha- will have, you know, isn't really a contender. Um, I get very reactionary to say the Packers, um, you know, but, the, you know, they're just, but they're kind of rolling. I think the defense has improved over the last three weeks. And to me, that was the big question because uh, we know that Aaron Rodgers can have a dead game. We, we saw it against Tampa Bay. Um, and so, I, I think I would still stick with them. Uh, I think unless Drew Brees comes back healthy, I don't think Taysom Hill's taking them to a Super Bowl. Um, and you know, I, 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 you know, I think actually the Rams are kind of a sleeper team to do it. I, I just think Sean McVay, um, you know, as much crap as people give Jared Goff, I think Sean McVay is one of is one of the best coaches in the league. I know it's kind of cliche or everyone has a cup of coffee with him gets a head coaching job or whatever you know but the the fact for him to do with that offense what he does with the personnel that I don't think is out of this world I think they have solid receivers I think he makes them better I think they have a solid quarterback I think he makes them a lot better um so I I I think they really have a shot I think they could get hot um so yeah you know I'll go off the wall I'll say Packers I'll say uh, Chiefs Rams Let's, let's go with Chiefs-Rams. I, I think it would actually be a really fun game, um, and I'd like to see that that defense go up against the Chiefs offense for sure. Oh, yes. You mentioned the NFC East, but I do think the Eagles might have a chance to make a slight playoff run into the divisional round, depending on if a team like the Rams is sleeping on them and it's looking ahead to the Packers, Seahawks, Saints, whoever's the three seed or behind that or whoever they're playing, they could be sleeping on them. Yeah. And with the, I could, Hurts reminds me of a lot, 
a lot like Lamar Jackson. People call him for Flacco. Throw in Lamar. Went on a huge run. Could see something similar with Hurts. Yeah, but the one thing is, is they're a game and a half back with three to play. You know, that's hard to come back on. Uh, so, Shane, on your Steelers. And one of the things, and we'll get, dive a little deeper at the Steelers, difference between Steelers and the Chiefs this year, one of them is injuries. People are not talking about losing Dupree, losing Devin Bush, losing uh, Spillane, losing, what, three or three offensive linemen in last week's game. That was a lot. Yeah, you know, it was. I mean, even, yeah, Vince Williams, um, the other inside linebacker on COVID, he was not against the Bills, who's, you know, by far the best corner. Um, and you know, James Conner is just, you know, been hurt on the COVID list, hurt again, you know, which I think, uh, look, I think that I don't think the Steelers are going to become a running team anytime soon. But having James Conner is a lot better than having Benny Snell, I think, back there for the most part. So, no, I, I think it's definitely affected them. Um, you know, all around, I thought the defense against Buffalo still played well for the personnel that was out there. I mean, that, that was still a very winnable game if the offense had done better. Um, and, and that's really what they could have asked these last two weeks. You know, I think uh, as much as the defense, you know, gave up that late touchdown to Washington or gave up, you know, a couple big drives to Buffalo, um, that's going to happen. You know, in today's NFL, like you cannot shut out every team. You can't hold every team under 10 points. Like it's never going to happen. So um, I, I, I'm really interested to see what they do. I'm not counting the Steelers out of it um, by any means. I think one of the, the benefits of, you know, having the record that they have and not, uh, not being great is, what happens if they, what happens if that offense gets great because they, they still have that potential. Um, so uh, I'm not, I'm not betting on it, but I think if Ben Roethlisberger can get a little more accurate down the field, uh, there's been a lot of talk around here, his arms dead. Uh, and and I, I, I don't think that's the case. Like um, the Buffalo game, he was underthrowing those deep passes, but he's overthrowing a lot of those deep passes. I think a lot of it's just, just touch and accuracy and trusting what he used to do after that, since that elbow surgery, um, when they hit those deep passes, um, cause Buffalo is challenging them. Buffalo's playing bump and run. They're bringing the safeties down. They're saying, try to go deep. And, and he couldn't throw the, the ball, um, to that spot. And so once, if that happens, I think really that's the key to opening this offense up. If the deep threat is there, a defense is going to have, has to have a problem, even knowing Steelers are passing 90% of the time. Um, you, you know, you, you spread those five weapons out. I think it's going to be tough for any team to cover. So, um, I, you know, I, I think there's still possibility if the two seed to do some damage and still get to the AFC title game. Well, one of the main differences in, that I've seen with the Steelers over the past couple of weeks, where's Claypool? Claypool was a driving factor, driving playmaker, and then he's been non-existent the past couple of weeks. Might be just because of better corners guarding him. But I do believe they should be trying to get him the ball quite a bit more instead of giving it to uh, drop Tay Johnson. Yeah, but I think Claypool had his, his uh, drops too, though. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I think against Buffalo, he was uh, he did well. But, uh, uh, Reese, I think you hit on it, is we saw the transition of teams moving their top corner to Chase Claypool from Juju Smith-Schuster. I think that was 
But, you know, because early in the year, Juju was doing nothing, right? Chase Claypool was making these big plays. So the team said, we got to come back. He's more dangerous. And, um, you know, it's not every play, right? Different teams do different things. Um, and we saw the Bills move Tredavious White kind of around the formation, be in the slot against Deontay, be outside against Chase Claypool, um, kind of move depending on personnel. But teams have definitely put – I mean, Chase Claypool wasn't seeing a top two corner um, in those first few games. He's a rookie, whatever. And once he started coming on, that's when teams started making that adjustment. Um, I think they do still need him to perform. Um, you know, and, and I, th- I think the Deontay Johnson conversation is really interesting to me uh, because it's, it's a big problem. I mean, Mike Tomlin benched him for pretty much the first half. Uh, rightfully so. Tomlin said publicly, that's what's going to happen if you drop the ball. And I'm glad he backed it up. I think as a coach, you have to, or what, you know, why even say it? Um, but, you know, I think a lot of people watching the Steelers say, well, why, why are they throwing him the ball, right? He's dropping everything because he's open because he's such a good route runner that he gets open. And it's like, you know, do you not throw that guy the football if he gets open like that? So it, it's another one of those issues that, okay, if that gets corrected, if he doesn't drop the ball now, now what does this offense look like? How much does that change the offense? Right? So if, if Chase Claypool gets a little bit better against those top corners, like, like, uh, like your point out, Reese, does, 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 how does that change this offense? So that's why I still have some faith. Um, you know, I mean, I, I kind of wish the Steelers were in, in the NFC looking at the two seed. I think they'd have a better shot against those teams um, than the chiefs. But um, you know, I still have some faith that they can, improve and um, get better you know I think sometimes the worst thing that can happen and, and I don't know if 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 you believe this uh, but you know kind of that momentum shift is kind of peaking too early in the season and then the playoffs hit and I feel like Baltimore kind of did it last year you know you hit on all cylinders week 10 and you kind of lose it by the playoffs so um, I'm interested in that one other quick thing that I'm really interested in just with a new playoff format is what a teams do week 17 because I think it's going to be clear that the Chiefs will have by probably, you know, by week 17. So if you're the Steelers, you lose to the Browns, maybe you get the three seed instead of the two seed. Is it worth resting the players, you know, for that? I'm interested to see how teams really approach that uh, this year. If it, the NFL might start seeing more benching of players, it might be like, oh, then maybe this wasn't such a good idea. Oh, yeah. So the Steelers, you've been, we've been talking about the Steelers and you mentioned the Ravens. Uh, with their COVID fiasco, for search of a better word. What are the, some of the lessons learned that, that the NFL has been forced to learn and that other uh, leagues like the NBA can learn about how to handle COVID? Or if it happens again next year, right? Yeah, I, 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 think, it, um, I think it's interesting to, to reflect on, you know, what were the issues? I think, you know, because I think for the most part, things outbreaks I feel like and you know it, it hit my hometown Steelers at both times not COVID but uh, the opposing teams right the Titans had that outbreak and then we're practicing when they shouldn't be practicing and we had to move you know games are moving around and it shifted like 10 12 games um, and then you know like you said the Ravens you have the one coach that refused to follow protocol and here we go this in the in the training room so um you know, so I, I, I think if you're the NFL, um, I think you saw some things 
kind of working. You know, I think we saw other sports have more success like the NBA, like the NHL, where you could have more of a bubble. You could do more of that. The NFL just wasn't going to happen. Um, so, you know, if I think if this happens next year, uh, I think they'll have a real, a much better idea of what protocols are needed, what's required to follow them, how to check. You know, I think that will be the key. Um, but uh, yeah, but I think this is a learning experience. Um, and I think even for teams to say, okay, you know, what happens now, even if someone gets the flu, right, the week of a game next year. Now, I think you have some things you can put in place to hopefully, you know, sometimes that happens. That spreads through the locker room and you have a problem. Um, that game, you know, obviously it's not as bad as COVID, but now you're learning how to kind of deal with uh, those kind of things. So. so imagine we had this conversation with fellow Pennsylvania and Marcus uh, Mosher last week. What happens if we're deep in the playoffs, Patrick Mahomes gets quarantined or – you know, whomever, Aaron Rodgers, that's going to be uh, quite the interesting dilemma because they can't really bubble four teams, you know, once you get that way, can you? I mean, those guys aren't, the players aren't going to want to be away from their families. Uh, yeah, that, that, is, that is a good question. I, 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 I want to see if the NFL makes any type of sweeping um, about that but it seems to me like what they've done all season is just kind of business as usual right is like we're just going to keep trucking along and I think that will be the plan uh, but yeah if you know if one of those stars goes down um, you know you, you got to be ready I wonder if they even expand the rosters a little bit and I you know I hate to say it but I would imagine they're they will loosen some of the really strict close contact rules if you know not to pick on Reese but if what happened to the Denver Broncos happens in the playoffs I don't think they let the Chiefs you know play Sammy Watkins a quarterback right I think it's okay well you know you can get um, Chad Henney in there then like he can play that's fine right so you know I, I think ultimately they would let some of those things slide they probably shouldn't but that that would be the case um, not that someone that's positive is going to go out there, but um, I, I, I think one thing we kind of have learned from the ratings from all of that is the NFL's bulletproof. It doesn't matter who plays. It doesn't matter if Kendall Hilton is playing quarterback, everyone's going to watch. And so, you know, not to say they don't care. Obviously you want Patrick Mahomes, you want Aaron Rodgers, but people are going to watch anyway. So, you know, it do doesn't really matter. Oh yeah. The business of football always wins. So we'll shift more into your wheelhouse, per se. And let's try to redraft the 2020 rookie class in Dynasty, as there's some debate. Actually, there's quite a bit of debate over who should, who should be drafted in the first, let's say, half round. Top six picks. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, uh, we're actually, um, uh, you know, I do a podcast at every marketplace, and, and we're, we're actually planning on having – kind of this conversation um, on our next show too. So I actually came kind of prepared a little bit, which is nice. Um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of take the quarterbacks out of it unless you're in super flex. You know, if you're in super flex, I think it goes Herbert, Burrow, Tua. I, th I think, you, you know, you hit those three guys have all done really well. Um, I think those are the, kind of the top three, four uh, super flex leagues. Then I, I think it just gets really interesting um, to me. 
I mean, my number one outside of the quarterbacks would be Justin Jefferson. I mean, I just the, I mean, it, it might end up being the greatest statistical season for a rookie wide receiver ever. And so I think to pass that up in, in a draft, um, in a dynasty draft or league, I think would be very foolish to do. Um, I think, you know, to have that good of a season as a rookie, I was a big fan of him in college. I mean, you know, he, he, he was the third down guy that Burrow looked for. So I, I would almost take him above the running backs, above the rest of the receivers. I think um, just what he's done is pretty incredible. And then, you know, after that, I, I'm still in the Jonathan Taylor bandwagon. Um, you know, he's really come on these last two weeks. I, I always thought just the statistically, um, athletically, he just had the full package and they just really needed to let him get in a rhythm in that offense. And so now that they have, um, I, you know, he, he's, he, he, that, that run for a touchdown, long run for a touchdown, you know, everyone likes to just hate on long runs for touchdowns. Like, well, if he didn't have that, then it'd be, it wouldn't be good. Right. But you know, he has the, the speed to do that. Not every running back can make that play. So, uh, you know, I think he's up there for me. Um, and then after that, I think it gets very muddled. I, I think C.D. Lame uh, has got to be up there. I know it's been kind of a struggle with Dak Prescott Apple. We saw what he was doing with Dak in. Um, you have to think Dak will be back um, for the um, for the Dallas Cowboys. And then, you know, what one a uh, couple more names I'll toss out. Then I think I just go, like, with the running backs. I, I really like James Robinson. Um, he was a player I wrote about in the spring of 2018 uh, that he could be the next David Johnson, um, you know, I wish I have him on more dynasty teams after he went undrafted. I, I should have followed my own advice there, but um, you know, it's a little risky. Uh, undraft, these undrafted running backs usually don't have that, you know, long-term value. Uh, but I, I think it's the best rookie season of, of a undrafted running back that we've seen too. And if they draft Justin Fields could really open things up for him. Um, so I'm buying in. And then I think Antonio Gibson, DeAndre Swift, Cam Makers, I think all those guys, um, J.K. Dobbins are, are, you know, right in that next tier um, to take. So uh, this rookie class, I mean, really has worked out better than I thought it would in a COVID, in this COVID year without a preseason, without camp. I mean, some guys that took a while, like a Cam Akers, like a J.K. Dobbins, like Antonio Gibson. Um, but I, I honestly, I mean, this class has been really, really good. And uh, I think if you're doing a dynasty startup next year, I think focusing on these second-year players could really – uh, when you now and in the future. All right. So three names I did not hear. And so just getting your overall take. I didn't yeah. hear anything about CEH. I didn't hear anything about Judy or about rugs. So, you know, CEH is pretty close to next. I think he's overrated in terms of what you're going to do for Dynasty. Um, he's had a couple great games and he's a good player. I don't think they're using him in the way that they wanted to use him. Right? I think maybe this, this sounds like crazy uh, against a, a first round picket running back, but I, th I think the Damian Williams opt out really screwed with how the chiefs wanted to use the running backs. I think they wanted Damian Williams still to be that between the tackles guy. And I think they want to use CEH like Brian Westbrook. Um, and now they really can't do that. And so he's kind of had to be the lead guy and it's led to less pass catching work. And he's just, he's not as talented as the other running backs, you know, and I don't, it's not to knock him as a player, you know, but he's just not as talented. And so with the chiefs, you can overcome that in fantasy, 
Uh, but you know, he uh, right now I have him. Um, you know, I, if I take out the three quarterbacks, I think it's ten. Um, you know, ten amongst receivers and running backs, uh, which which is crazy. Uh, you know, in a typical year, he wouldn't be that low. Um, I have Judy right after him. Uh, I think I think it's just about do we trust what's going to happen with Denver? You know, do we trust that that coaching staff to to stay and improve? Do we? trust you know um the things to happen there i think judy's a great route runner i i think that um with Cortland sutton back with with noah fant back you know doing well um i just don't know if the volume is going to be there ever for him for fantasy but i, I think he'll be a better player than that and henry ruggs i have down at like 18 17 18 yeah and and it, he's just a much better real fit nfl player than fantasy player i mean he's gonna take the top off defenses but you can't start him. I mean, it, it, unless you're in a best ball, you just can't start him. And I just, I mean, I have him behind Brandon Ayuk and LaVisca Chenault and um, Denzel Mims and Chase Claypool. You know, he's just not even in, the, in those guys' tier. Ayuk is one guy that I could see people having at 7, 8, 9, 10. I mean, he's having a lot better season than people are giving him credit. I mean, I think we saw that last week when 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 Debo Samuel's not in, Brandon Ayuk is kind of playing both of their roles, and and that's really good. Um, so, and this offense is kind of built for it. I think I think he he is a, kind of a safer pick with some big upside to him. Um, I'm just intrigued when you know when they're at full capacity. Um, is there gonna be? I, I really think Jimmy Garoppolo is there to stay longer than most people think. Um, and so I wonder about his consistency, but it's a good class. Like I think looking at most years, someone like him was a first round pick that's putting up uh, you know, some of these big games. I mean, you'd have in the top 12 at the very least. Um, but uh, I, I think it's very, I, I think it's kind of tough, man. I, I mean, I, this is one of the best rookie classes that I, I, you know, I've really seen in terms of fantasy value just right off the bat once again, in a tough year to get adjusted to it. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to fall off in a year or two and I'll be like, ah, you know, <laughs> why do I have this guy in my top 10 and whatever? Like now he stinks. But um, I, I think, I think you're in safe hands to really invest in these receivers and in um, these running backs. Well, you mentioned running backs. Think about how many will have a bell cow role. Swift, because I do not believe carry on or Adrian Peterson will be there long-term. Dobbins says, well, if Ingram's out, do we really do we really think Edwards is going to steal too much production from him? You could ar- make the argument for Akers if they don't believe in Darrell Henderson. And after what Akers just showed on primetime TV against the Patriots, and Robinson's already in his own role, and you mentioned with CEH where it's not going to get volume, but he's going to get efficiency back with Damian Williams along. And I, you could get a better, bigger role. Taylor. Taylor's definitely one who got his, got his uh, volume, quite a bit of volume, as we've seen. But the problem with CEH that I've seen this year is he's only shown up – he's a matchup-dependent player, sort of like how Josh Allen is. He's only shown up against the Raiders, the Texans, and the Bills for three games. Pretty sure it's a coincidence, but they all happen on prime time. But <laughs> – <laughs> He, he's only matched up dependent. Those are his three good games, and those are probably his three three of his four worst opponents. If you count his mm-hmm. uh, defenses, count his one lackluster Raiders game, which they lost. 
Yeah. The other thing, and Reese and Shane, where do you guys put uh, T. Higgins and Michael Pittman? Uh, you know, I, I think they're super intriguing. It's like, well, you know, um, right now I have T Higgins kind of sandwiched in those running backs between Cam Akers and JK Dobbins. I think he's in that top 10. Um, you know, I, I think if Joe Burrow hadn't had that big of an injury, um, you know, even if it had just been a torn ACL, I think I'd feel a little more comfortable, but I mean, this looks like, I think, a hookup that's going to happen for a long time. Like, I feel really comfortable. Uh, I think right now I have T. Higgins as my wide receiver three from this class for fantasy after uh, Jefferson and Lamb. Um, and, and I think he's performed like that. Once, once A.J. Green is, is gone, you know, I think Higgins really steps into that role. And then, you know, I have Pittman as my wide receiver five just after Jerry Judy. Um you know, he's been inconsistent, but I think, man, I, I remember watching him kind of, I think the second game he came back, he had that, that big game. And um, I look, I watched a ton of Michael Pittman film in college and he never looked that fast in college. And I mean, he looked fat. And I was like, wow, he, you know, he looks fast for, and, and he's so big. Um, I, I just think uh, he's kind of destined to hit that too. So I, I have them over Chase Claypool. I, I actually feel a little more comfortable with those players, you know, being number ones and sticking in that role, then, you know, Pittsburgh, where it seems that number one receiver kind of rotates every year and changes. And uh, what if they draft another one, if Juju leaves and now, you know, and I have another, so, you know, I, I think Chase Claypool's great, but I, I feel more comfortable, I think, with the systems that Higgins and Pittman have in place. How about you, Reese? I'd probably have Higgins, a wide receiver three or four, like you do. And I'd have Pittman, a little, a little bit lower than you do, just because I don't tr know what the quarterback situation is going to be after this year. Is it going to be Brissett? Is it going to be someone they draft? Is it going to be someone, the person they drafted this year, Nick Eason, maybe? Jacob. Jacob Eason, sorry. And do I really trust that that's going to be a good situation for Pittman to get the ball earlier, early and often? And I much prefer the volume that Higgins has, uh, Claypool with his efficiency and as a deep threat threat if they can recover him, but he's also another one with questionable quarterback situation. But I do like Pittman's upside. Yeah. Also, Shane, what do you think about Pittman uh, sliding back a little bit now that T.Y. Hilton's ascending? You know what I mean? Like, it's hard there. It's hard for each one to be the alpha. No, I, I mean, I, I think I think it is a bit of a concern. I, I do think that T.Y. Hilton is not long for uh, the Colts and, and being that number one player. And maybe it happens, you know, this year. Um, but I think we've seen that changing of the guard happen at times. Uh, so, you know, a, a little rough for, for my Pittman shares in the fantasy playoffs, trying to sneak him in my last flex spot. But, uh, you know, I, I have faith. I think Reese brings up a great point of quarterback. Uh, but the Colts are going to have some of the most cap room in the NFL next year. So I think there's one team that's going to toss money at um, whatever, you know, free agent quarterback or, or trade that they want to do. Uh, you know, I think that could be the team, um, you know, I, look, I think it's a, like a pie in the sky to say it'll be, you know, Dak Prescott or whatever. But um, I think if, if any of those possibilities are out there, I think the Colts are the team that could really be looking at um, the best free agent, you know, to, to possibly go there. Um, or, you know, or even a young, younger player you can kind of move uh, for and, and see them behind 
Philip Rivers for another year if he's there. So uh, that that is a situation up in the air for sure. And if we look back to this year, uh, that's one team that doesn't mind trading his first round pick. Look, you know, they traded, they knew who they wanted. Uh, DeForest Buckner, was it? And uh, traded, what was it, the 10 overall, 11 overall pick? 13, I believe. 13. But and that pick ended up being Tristan Merce after the four Niners third back one pick. So really, <laughs> and they drafted Javon Kinlaw. And it's Javon Kinlaw or DeForest Buckner. And I'd much rather have Buckner. Forget about the cap space. I'd rather have the, <laughs> the, lock, the locked in, the defensive tackle star. And he's done. No, I was going to say one of those teams is in the playoffs and one isn't. Not that the <laughs> defensive tackle is the reason, but DeForest Buckner is not hurting the Colts' uh, playoffs odds. Let's let me say that. No. So we were talking about this class. What do you think of next year's? And let's just try to mock them top six for next year. Next year's class is, uh, you know, I think it's a tough one to to peg um, always at this point kind of what it will be. I think it's similar to last year's class in that the receivers are strong again um, in deep, uh, you know, and I promise 2022 won't be that way. <laughs> it's not going to be three years in a row, but we have another very strong, you know, receiver class. If you need a receiver draft one, draft two, draft three, um, this is the time to do it. Uh, last chance kind of um, the running backs, I think are a little bit weaker um, than last year. I don't think we kind of have this top group. I think maybe we've emerged with three guys that you really feel comfortable with. And I, I really, you know, I, I think there'll be a couple after that that could be okay. And then, you know, at quarterbacks and super flex, if, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the 101, uh, rightfully so. Justin Fields will be the 102, rightfully so. Uh, probably the Jets and the Jaguars. And, and then it's going to be what happens from there. We'll probably have two more first-round quarterbacks, possibly Trey Lance and Zach Wilson. You know, we'll see what happens with that. To me, it kind of comes down to, um, you know, let's kind of talk running backs. You know, I think Najee Harris, running back from Alabama, um, I, you know, I'm not even super high on him as a prospect, but I think the NFL definitely will be, you have a potential three down running back that can catch the football and is big and strong. And everyone watches Derrick Henry. He's going to run for 2000 yards and challenges the NFL rushing record this year. So let's draft the next Bama guy. Right. So I think he's going to go in the first round of the actual NFL draft. And that will propel you to one-on-one capital in um, rookie drafts, right? I mean, people are going to take that running back. It's a lot more scarce than receiver. Um, I, you know, I still like Travis Etienne, uh, the running back from Clemson. He, he's my number one, but he definitely has to fit that zone read system, um, one cut system that I think would be very helpful for him. Uh, so in a good situation, I think he'll go in the top 50. He'll be number two, number three running back off the board. Then I think the other guy that's really emerging is Javante Williams running back from North Carolina. Um, I think he's uh, clearly in that top three. Like he's worth mentioning with Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. He's going to go really high. Another big guy that can move had one of the best runs that I've seen in the last decade in college football against Miami, um, you know, spinning off of guys, hurling guys at 220 pounds. You know, he's, you know, he, he looks really legit. So I think those running backs are going to running backs that go, in the top 50, 60 of the NFL draft are going to be in the top five picks of your rookie draft almost every time. You turn to the receivers, things are um, very dicey. I think it's going to be like last year where it's like, who who do you like? Take that guy um, because teams are going to do that, right? We, I think a lot of us thought CeeDee Lamb, 
Jerry Judy should be the one and two for sure. Then Henry Ruggs goes off the board because you want the speed. That stuff's going to happen again. Um, I still think Jamar Chase, the receiver from LSU, is the clear number one. You know, was so dominant last year, one of the best SEC receiving uh, seasons in, in SEC history. You know, so I, I still think he's going to go pretty high. Maybe in Miami, someone like that, you know, takes him. Uh, so I think he'll be up there. Um, and then, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I've I've kind of put Devonta Smith, the wide receiver from Alabama, uh, who's now putting together two really great seasons together. Um, you know. It, it, more Alabama receivers going in the first round. You know, I, th- I think he's going to be uh, up there. And then uh, then we kind of have a slew of guys. I think Rashad Bateman, the receiver from Minnesota, has fallen off just because Minnesota is not as good, but he's still athletic and talented. Um, we have kind of the small, fast guys, Jalen Waddle from Alabama who got hurt, Rondale Moore from Purdue, you know, who uh, maybe isn't putting together as good of a season as he wanted to, but still has that speed. Um, we have Terrace Marshall who took the Jamar Chase role at LSU. Uh, and I think even a guy like Chris Olave from Ohio State could sneak in or very top around too. So, yeah, I think we have seven legitimate receivers and I, you know, I could probably go four or five more deep to guys that are pretty good. Um, so I, you know, I think when you combine that, you get a really solid first round and, you know, I, I'd, I'd be remiss. I know everyone is in love with Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida, I don't take tight ends in the first round of rookie drafts. It's just not, a, it's, you got to wait three years for almost anything to happen. Um, but uh, pe- people are going to really like him. Um, and uh, you know, him, Brevin Jordan from Miami and Pat Fryermuth from Penn state will go pretty high. So yeah, it, it's a, uh, I think it's going to be a good rookie draft. I think, you know, that, that first round and maybe top half of the second round will be pretty strong. So I will say that this just my overarching macro view is after the strength of this past rookie class, people will project onto this coming rookie class and expect that to happen again. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I I think it will happen. And I think the reason, I think not only because of the success of this rookie class, but 2021 looks very similar when you look at that macro view. Oh, the first round's going to have six, five, six receivers taken in it. Just like last year, all those guys worked out, right? Oh, there's there's going to be three really good running backs. Some of them, uh, some of them didn't go in the first; they went in the second round. They were all really good last year. Uh, it's going to happen again. So I think people are going to look at that top-down view. Oh, the, the top quarterbacks were good. Even the guy and Justin Herbert, I didn't like. So I'll draft, you know, I'll draft Seth Wilson. I'll draft uh, Kyle Trask. You know, I'll draft these guys I don't really like. They they could work out. So you know, I, I yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that will influence people. Um, I'm actually really intrigued to, you know, I, you know, what, one of my, you know, big kind of rebuilding leagues where I had a ton of picks in 2020 and I took a ton of guys and I made the playoffs uh, after being last the year before I, you know, I've like the one Oh four and I, you know, that I got, that I got from someone else. I'm going to see what I can get for that thing. Cause I, I think people are going to be willing to give up a really, really good veteran running back for it. And I will, you know, I'll kind of take that to the bank and, as you said, kind of bank on what happened last year. I bet you could get James Robinson in a late first. Yeah, yeah look, I, I think I think that's uh, that that actually be really nice. I actually made a, a similar deal in one league um, to make a push for the playoffs. I traded, you know, a first for Robinson in the second. You know, and I think those are the types of trades that win you leagues. Like you're moving down a little bit, so uh, I'm I'm intrigued because I you know I think even guys like Derrick Henry. 
you're right, as dominant he's been. Oh, and I was 27. You know, people are going to start getting worried. People are going to start getting worried about Alvin Kamara. I didn't produce with Taysom Hill and Drew Brees is gone. You know, people get worried about these veteran running backs. And sometimes it's better to invest in trading some of those picks for um, those guys you know are really good. The one I'm going to make, and anybody in my league just expect it. If I have a high second, I'm tr- I'm offering that for Julio Jones in every league I can, because Julio has two good years left. He's well worth that the risk return on that high second, because like you said, the drop off is much earlier this year than last. Like the guys last year that Van Jefferson hasn't done much, but he's a quality player. Gibson was in that second third round. Uh, Darrington Evans, I think, is a good player, hadn't done much. Claypool, and people are going to start thinking that second round is going to be money like it was last year, and I don't think so. And, and people press for running backs. I mean, I think I think people pressed a little bit for Darrington Evans and Zach Boss, and you know, and yeah, if you hit Antonio Gibson, great, but you know, if you were taking these guys that aren't going to be starters anytime soon. Yeah, that's a high price to pay when you could have had, you could have a Julio Jones. Um, you know, yeah, I think you take that certainty for sure. Yeah. And he's, he's a great flex player. And I say that with a little bit of sarcasm, you know what I mean? He's a, yeah. he's a solid player. So well, from Debbie, let's transition to it's kind of like a sister uh, dynasty. Who are your top five uh, dynasty quarterbacks right now? Ooh, you know, I, I think it's a much harder question than I would have thought um, before the season for the quarterback position. Um, I think Lee Patrick Mahomes is number one. Um, I, you know, I, I think that's that's obvious. Um, I, you know, I would probably still put Russell Wilson number two. And I, I think people sometimes make too much about age in quarterbacks, right? Like he's 32, he's not 38. Um, and, and, you know, when, when you take a guy – you're I know quarterbacks sometimes you can bank on for 10 years, but if, if I can get five years out of a quarterback, really good years, I think Russell Wilson um, can do that. I, I think Kyler Murray's number three. I think the upside's just really big uh, with his rushing ability and what he can bring to the table. I'd probably put Deshaun Watson at four. Um, you know, I, new coaching staff. I think they'll rebuild the receiving group. Um, you know, I have, I have faith in what he's done even without a lot of his, his, talent and you know I'm still going to put Lamar Jackson in the top five I I just think there's so much potential with him from a fantasy perspective I know it's easy to kind of hate on him for not being as good as he was last year but he was never going to be as good as he was last year that that was an impossibility for him to do and they built the system around him he's not going anywhere Uh, he's not you know going to lose his job so the fact that you get that rushing ability and you get a player that still really young. I mean, he's 23 years old. I think we kind of forget that he's the same age as Kyler Murray. He came into the league a little bit young. So that development can still happen. You know, he's probably the guy I'm probably targeting in dynasty leagues um, that people are going to sell, you know, sell him um, that, you know, I, I can trade a Kyler Murray for Lamar Jackson plus, you know, I'll, I'll take that kind of what I feel is pretty even and, and get, uh, you know, a pick out of it. I, I always take that every time. How about Dak? I didn't hear you say mention Dak in that. But given those weapons, I'm, there's nothing assumed with Jerry Jones. I'm like the furthest thing <laughs> from a Jerry Jones fan. There's nothing assumed. But given Lamb and Cooper, you know, all those people that want to take Trevor Lawrence in a one-quarterback league at the 111, 
I would rather, just my preference, give it for a quarterback that you like and you like his situation, whomever it is. Yeah, I, I, I think Dak, I, I think six, I think between him and Josh Allen, I think it's close for me. I think I probably would lean Dak, as you said, because of the weapons, because uh, we've seen him do it. I, I know this year was cut very short, but he, he was the you know, number one quarterback this year uh, when he played. So I think that plus last year, you know, I've actually been trying to trade Tua for him in some super flex leagues, you know, Hey, you want to get younger? Like I'll take Dak, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that um, all day. You know, I, I, so I think he's right up there. Um, and I think once, once he ultimately signs long-term with Dallas and it will happen, I think we'll see that value skyrocket back up. People will just feel more just like Derrick Henry, when he signed, you wipe the sweat off your brow and okay. Now, now I know, and know what we have uh, for the future. And I think that's what people are kind of waiting for with him. And with Dak, his rookie year, if he was effective and he didn't have Cooper Gallup Lamb, or any of those weapons. So even with him moving, it was not really that big of a fact factor into, Oh, you shouldn't have. And he had Jason Garrett as a coordinator. (laughs) (laughs) Kellen Moore's a whole lot better. I, I believe. Might be my, might be my hot take, but so top five quarterbacks. Who's your top five tight ends? Dynasty. Dynasty. Yeah, yeah. I actually, the number one spots like a little bit dicey. I, I, I still just put Travis Kelsey there. Like, you know, maybe I get two years. Like, I'll take two years of this uh, as my number one tight end. Like, it's fine. You know, George Kittle is right there as the number two. I, I think the injuries are a concern to me. It, he's had a ton of injuries in college. It's why he fell in the draft. Uh, now in the NFL, he's had a few years of injuries. I, I think it's a big question mark that um, people will talk about, but won't express too much. Um, I think I'd probably put Darren Waller three. Um, you know, I, I just think the dynamic ability is, is, is there week to week more than anyone else. You know, I think he just has more of an ability than anyone else I'm looking at. I honestly don't have many dynasty teams. I, I really wasn't buying in this year. It's like, ah, he won't kind of repeat that. But he's had some of those big games. And I think having rugs there kind of helps take the top off a little bit for him. Um, so, you know, I think I'd put him at three. Um, four, I, I, you know, I'm going to go with, with a guy that I just really like, Young. I'm going to go TJ Hawkinson. I think – his he hasn't hit his potential yet we know Matthew Stafford's going to be there uh, a little bit risky we'll see what the next coaching staff is um but I really felt like he was starting to really get it the second half of the season especially after the coaching change he's really been on fire um and when they cleaned up the kind of the passing so that, that's a little more projection I guess uh and then I'll still put Mark Andrews at five kind of like Lamar you know I think it's been a little rocky for him he, he definitely was volume dependent and touchdown dependent uh, which is a little bit scary, but uh, I feel, you know, as comfortable with him as anyone else after that. I just think those top four have the potential to be elite. Uh, I'm not sure Mark Andrews ever gets that elite category where he's, you know, looking like Travis Kelsey, but, um, you know, still, he's still going to be the number one receiving threat in that offense and only 24 years old. So Dallas Goddard's the one that I have pretty high. And a few years ago, tells you how long I've been doing this. I did a study of what it takes to be an elite fantasy tight end. And there's, there's two, the one of two things has to happen. The top option on your team, like a Greg Olson was for many years or Kittle 
or a high volume passing attack like the Chiefs for Kelsey. And so I think of it in that lens of, on these guys. So Hawk could be the number one receiver, right? Or, uh, you know, Waller obviously is in, uh, in Vegas. But what do you think about Goddard? I think once Zach Ertz is gone, I, I think we'll see that happen. Um, you know, a lot of questions of if, if Jalen Hurts, you know, as Reese pointed out before, if he starts getting it going, they win the rest of the season. Now we feel comfortable Doug Peterson's going to be there and God knows he's going to use the tight end. So, um, yeah, I think Goddard has looked really good. I really wish he wouldn't have gotten hurt for that period this year because um, I think then – maybe he would be my top five. Maybe we would have really seen it more consistently. Um, so I, you know, I think, I think he's a great projection. Like I think some of these young tight ends, him, Noah Fant, um, uh, you know, still have the, this kind of big potential in that next tier to take it the next step. And, and I, like I mentioned before, I mean, tight ends just take a while to develop. And so uh, I think sometimes we just give up on them too easily. Um, so I kind of hope Ertz is gone next year and Goddard can take that number one role and, Gosh knows right now he's the best receiving threat that team has for sure. Yes. So kind of transitioning away from dynasty of all the coaching vacancies that have already happened or probably will happen. Which one would you take? It's, it's, it's tough, man. I mean, it's a tough question because I think different, um, you know, different vacancies bring such different things to the table. They're all super unique, right? Because like my first, my initial thought, my gut reaction was Houston, right? I mean, you get to Sean Watson. I know they don't have the picks. You get to Sean Watson. You know, I think I think you take it. Uh, like like that. That seems like a great situation. But I think they've been left in such a mess in terms of a rebuild. I think I, I don't quite trust the general manager there. There's some things that I'm like, uh, maybe not Houston. You know, maybe we don't say that. I think, I think Detroit's a good spot. You have a veteran quarterback, you have good weapons, you have kind of a, a team that has a shell, um, you know, but maybe this is really off the wall, but I'm going to say the New York Jets. I mean, I think the Jets are the best situation. And here's why. Joe Douglas uh, hit a home run in this draft. He drafted a franchise left tackle, my number one left offensive tackle, and Mekhi Becton, who's, you know, has been nicked up, but has looked like a stud when he's been on the field. You know, he's had his problems. He's a rookie. I, Denzel Mims, I thought that was a great pick. He's looked really good. Ashton Davis got hurt, but looked like a starter after that. They have a ton of draft capital. So now you have a GM that, um, you know, Honestly, I think is is playing it really smart. He's keeping Adam Gase in there to lose. Uh, Adam Gase is your best bet to lose games. And I think we all know it. And we're all waiting. Why would you fire him? He wants Trevor Lawrence. And, that, and that's what you get. You know, you, you get Trevor Lawrence. Um, and maybe he's not as good as Deshaun Watson. I, I can't say that. But you also get a late first round pick. You get the number one pick in the second round. You get multiple picks um, on, the, on the third day. You get a ton of picks. And you have a GM that's already shown he could be competent making those selections. And so I think if I, I could have some input on that direction, I mean, I, I almost hope they do kind of the Carolina Panthers in reverse, you know, let's go almost all offense. Let's just build the offensive line. Let's build the weapons for Trevor Lawrence. Let's get a tight end. Let's get another receiver. Let's get a running back. Um, and let's just make, let's lose games 40 to 30 for a year. And then let's worry about the defense, right? Let's make sure our franchise, I don't want to see what happened. Andrew Luck happened and Kirk Lawrence and getting hit every play and Joe Burrows looking like the same thing. Um, but I, I think that that team 
has some really good potential. I think it's a division, you know, Buffalo's looked really good, but I think it's a division and Miami has too, but I think it's a division that, you know, still you, you can compete in, you can compete with those, those teams with the Trevor Lawrence. Um, so I, I don't think you'll get many people to say it, but I think the New York Jets are a much, much better situation than people give them credit for. And I think if there's a team that's going to turn, you know, if I, you know, if I'm looking at it, like which of these teams is going to get 10 wins first, you know, I guess I probably lean Houston, but uh, I think the Jets could be the team with an opening that, that gets 10 wins before anyone else. Um, so I'm going to plant my flag right here for the, for the New York Jets uh, going forward. If, if they get a good coach, I guess that has to happen. For me, I choose the Atlanta Falcons and do what Carolina did and draft all defense. They have the fourth overall pick. They could get Micah Parsons, or if they want, they can get the great offensive tackle, Panay Sowell. I'm pretty sure I pronounced that wrong, from Oregon. But you can do that. You have a franchise quarterback that the fans like, which is can only be said in a couple couple of the free agency openings. You have great weapons. You have some young weapons. You have a running back with arthritis that – but, you know, <laughs> running backs are basically not <laughs> – they're, they're a dime a dozen. If, if you could build build that defense, you have Dion, you have Dion Jones, you have the number four overall pick, like I mentioned. You have uh, oh the safety, Keanu Neal. You have Grady Jarrett. You have some good defensive players. Let's just go get seven more of them. If you can get seven more of them, if you can do something in a free agency, don't get rid of Matt Ryan for a couple of years. Keep him there. And maybe get Ryan Fitzpatrick if you want. And just see what happens. You can that defense, that division's going to look a whole lot easier once Brady and Brees retire. Yeah, it's weird to think Matt Ryan's the second youngest quarterback in that division. I'm going to take a team that neither one of you mentioned, and that's the Chargers. I would take the Chargers with all that defensive. I mean, think about who they have that is hurt or held out. You have Derwin James. You have all those guys. You have a young quarterback in Herbert. You have Eckler. You have Keenan Allen bad O-line, but I don't know. that The Chargers team seems pretty attractive to me. Shane, talk me out of it. No, I think it is. I just don't think they fired their coach. I think, I think that's the difference. I don't think it's – you know, as much as Anthony Lynn, I think, has shown this year to be really bad in-game management, clock management, I mean, I think he's made a ton of mistakes and that the Tyrod Taylor, uh, he's the starter no matter what, and, and Justin Herbert's lighting it up. You know, it's a problem. I, I think they'll keep him. Uh, you know, I think they like what he did last year. Um, and I, I think there's still some faith there. So, I look, I, th- I think if it's an opening, I, I think both – I think that's a good call. You know, I think the Falcons are a good call that I kind of overlooked too. If your goal is to kind of come in and try to – you know, you, you got to kind of rush for that, I think, for that Super Bowl. Like, I, you know, I'm not sure Matt Ryan has as much in the tank, um, you know, as he could. But – that, that could be your, you know, like when I say 10 wins, I mean, the Falcons see pretty good. But, yeah, the fact that we have these openings with some good young quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson, maybe Justin Herbert, um, you know, or a guarantee of a Trevor Lawrence, you know, I, I think there are going to be some candidates really attracted to those jobs because that's always the hardest thing, right? You know, um, I think it's going to be much harder to sell some of these jobs that don't have that and, um, you know, really, really end up with having some problems. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens with something like the Bears. Uh, but I think that would be a job that would be like, uh, uh, it's, it's a little more tricky to, to really want to go there, even with as much as they've won. Arguably, 
arguably the most attractive uh, coaching candidate, Eric Bieniemy. Where would you want to go if you were him? Do you really want to go develop a quarterback, or or do you want to try to stay in Kansas City, win a couple more rings, <laughs> and stay with Patrick Mahomes, which you have much higher job security? I say Houston. I say he goes Houston. I, you know, I think he goes Atlanta. I think that might be the spot uh, for him, right? Because uh, I, yeah, I think um, I think like you said, like he's probably a guy that's not going to want to develop a young quarterback and and go through that route. And so then, then I think Houston, Atlanta, Detroit become kind of your options. I think all three will will back up the Brinks truck for him. You know, whatever he wants, he can get um, for a job. I mean. T- you know, he should have been hired last year. And if Kansas city gets knocked out of the playoffs around earlier, I think he has a head coaching job. You know, I think that was the issue. Teams didn't want to wait, wait around. Um, and this year they're going to wait around um, and make sure. So, yeah, I, I think I, you know, my, that's not my guess. I think he'll go to Atlanta. I think he'll take, Hey, we have these good offensive bones. I'll hire a good defensive coordinator, fix that. I can make this offense into a top five offense, you know, right now. And uh, that's probably what I want to do. But Dan Quinn was a defensive guy. (laughs) (laughs) We talked a little bit about it earlier in the show. Well, what's happened to the Steelers? How about this? Let me pile on. Not only what's happened to them, a year from now, do you see him being good? Yeah, it's it's an interesting conundrum. I mean, they definitely push the chips in the middle, which makes sense. Um, I mean, you know, you're on you're on borrowed time with Ben Roethlisberger, and let's try to make it count. So I think that's what they did with with this defense. I mean, they're I think I think it's a team that is committed to trying to make it work this year to win a Super Bowl. You know, I I, I so. Does that mean it's going to happen? Probably not, but I think it is a team that's going to look to make those immediate changes that are, are going to push kind of the panic button a little quicker than some teams would, than maybe a Buffalo would, um, you know, or Cleveland would, because there's going to be time. Stewart's don't have much time. I mean, who are they going to lose next year? James Conner's gone. Juju Smith-Schuster's gone. They're going to lose um, two starting offensive linemen. Uh, the whole left side will be gone. Um, on the defensive side, you know, you're probably, maybe they can get my Hilton back, uh, you know, their slot corner, probably not, uh, but Dupree's not coming back, you know, so it's, they're going to lose a lot of starters next year. And that's, you know, quarterback withstanding that Ben Roethlisberger comes back. So it's going to be a very different team. I think they're going to be like some of these teams that, in the draft, they're going to have holes to fill, and that's going to be the focus is filling those holes. They're going to need a running back. They're going to need another receiver. They're going to need a pass rusher. Um, and, and so, you know, I think the hope is that some of the young guys they took this year, Alex Highsmith, who's filling in for Dupree, um, that, you know, I think they're hoping for a little more from Anthony McFarland that didn't really happen, um, dropping a fourth down pass that could have won them the game, you know. Uh, you know so I, I think maybe it's not quite working out uh, as well. Um, but yeah, Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season and I probably wouldn't bet on it starting next year either. So who do you think wins the division next year? That's, that's a good question. I, look, I, I, I mean, I, I think Baltimore is still going to be the team to beat. I think they'll still win the division. I, I think Pittsburgh, 
you know, we'll, we'll probably win it this year. Um, but, you know, Baltimore still could be the best team, uh, even though they lost twice to the Steelers. They still can be the best team when they're at full capacity. You know, I, Cleveland is good. I mean, I think that defense has – I know it didn't look good in this past game, but, you know, they didn't have uh, – and I think that defense has a lot of potential. And I think when the offense doesn't have Odell Beckham and they're really good, like, you know, that Nick Chubb's unmatched and that running game is really good. But, um, and the coaching, the coaching looks great. I, I still don't trust Baker Mayfield. I still think he's not going to be a consistent quarterback. And I think that's going to be their problem. Um, and like I said, I think the Steelers are just going to lose too much. I think the Bengals, I don't know. I don't, you know, maybe it's too early to tell. I don't think Zach Taylor is going to be the long-term solution at head coach for them, but um, I think they have the bones to be much better. So, uh, but so, you know, I think Baltimore's, they're going to ride it. I mean, they, they, they really pick strategically to replace positions that are going to be gone. JK Dobbins will easily step up into that starting role. You know, um, they're getting Patrick Queen work. He's improving as time goes on. So I think they've really built the team in a nice way too. All right. I drew this conclusion in personally, but I want you to tell me how wrong I am, all right? I think right. Baker Mayfield is this era's Mark Sanchez. Hmm. Defense, can't, you don't have confidence. Hey, you know, you clap when he's playing well, but you don't have confidence it's going to continue. You know what I mean? And uh, anyway. No, I can't. I can't fault you um, for. I you know I can't fault you for that. I, I think I think obviously he's a little more talented naturally than Mark Sanchez is. But from a kind of macro perspective and looking at Baker Mayfield, um, yeah, I, I think he's just so streaky that you can't really trust him to win you the game. I think you can't trust him to come into a game against tough defense and, and play really well. Um, so I, I think that's, that's part of the issue. I mean, you look at the teams competing for a playoff spot, you know, I'll take out the Raiders. I think they're kind of done. I mean, the Browns are the only team with, with uh, negative net points in the AFC that's competing for the playoffs. You know, how do you have negative 20 in a net points um, when teams like the Dolphins have over 80, the Ravens over not have 90, the Colts over 70. I mean, you know, like the, the, the team is just so inconsistent and that's the problem when you're losing some games, 38 to three, and you're, you know, losing some games, 42 to 38. Like, you know, I think it's a problem. So I, I, you know, I, long ago, I said, I would just stop trusting the Cleveland Browns, uh, and that that's really worked out for me the past 20 years. Um, you know, so I guess I'll keep it going. I think Kevin Spansky's doing a great job. I think they have some good personnel, but, uh, I think I think the quarterback is going to be a lot more of a struggle than people want to want to believe. I feel like Baker Mayfield shows up too many to too many games looking like the Hulu commercial, and Savansky's a running running court running coach. I mean, you look at what he did with the Vikings last year. Kirk Cousins was a game manager, and Baker does not want to be a game manager, so he's he kind of wants to be the big show, but he can't. He can't show up enough that they can trust him. So Baker tries to make too many. He knows he has a limited number of plays, so he tries to make it too many times, and that's where he gets burned. Both OB, OBJ not playing. He does. He knows. You know, I don't really have to force the ball to this guy. 
Yeah, but here's the the million dollar question, or really it's a 10, $100 million question, whatever it is. And both of you, I'll ask you this. Does Cleveland give him a big contract? Are they forced to? Will they? Yeah, I mean, I think in today's NFL, you, you almost have to. And it, it's a problem. You know, I, I was talking about this on Twitter the other day that, you know, when we look at the NFL from an outsider's perspective, especially fantasy or draft related, um, you know, we're looking at if we were in their shoes, our goal is to win a Super Bowl. And that, the fact of the matter is not every NFL team's goal is to win a Super Bowl. I know it is, but it's not, right? Your goal is to keep your job. I mean, that's ultimately the goal. And Baker Mayfield probably keeps your job, then letting him go. And now it's a fiasco. And now if you royally screw up, it's really bad. Having Baker Mayfield gives me a little bit of a cushion, especially they make the playoffs this year. They make the playoffs next year. Um, it gives a cushion to the general manager. It gives a cushion to the head coach. You know, it, it's a, a problem that, you know, may eventually bite you in the butt. But, you know, Andy Dalton kept Marvin Lewis's job for a long time, and they didn't have to win a Super Bowl. They didn't have to come close to a Super Bowl. You know, I think that it would be just fine for the Cleveland Browns to win eight to 10 games every year and lose in the first or second round of the playoffs, that'd be a dream in Cleveland, you know? So um, there's a lot of teams and sure after a while it, it gets kind of spinning, but I think Baker Mayfield could be that guy. Um, so, you know, if, if he keeps playing as he has in the second half of the season, then yeah, I, I think it, it, uh, I think it happens. I have a question for both of you. And I believe I know his answer on this. Who would you rather have starting for your team? Ryan Fitzpatrick or Baker Mayfield? Oh, I'll take the magic. That, that's, I knew you would. <laughs> I'll take the magic. I, I mean, I, I still think I still think I would take Baker just in that you – I think you have a little more in your arsenal to, to utilize, you know. I mean, I saw Ryan Fitzpatrick start that last game, and you know, it's not always pretty. We've seen Baker start some games that aren't always pretty. Um but uh, you know, I, I do think he gives you a little bit better chance to to run the ball. I, th I think that's one of the reasons why you know, t teams aren't treating Baker Mayfield like Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson. Uh, but, but I think they're respecting him enough that they can't just stack the box and stop Nick Chubb, or they would. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, like I think Ryan Patrick as good as he's been. I think I think this. this I, I guess I've said it before and it hasn't been true, but I think this is the end of the line for him. Uh, but uh, we'll see. We'll see when he's starting somewhere next year. I'll eat my words. The only reason I say that is I think he is a better one to two year window guy because he's not going to cause you any heartache. He's going to be a lot cheaper and he allows you to draft a rookie back behind and develop because Fitzpatrick has been a great locker room guy. There's a reason the Dolphins were sad that he did not – that that they got replaced. They didn't they didn't want Tua at first. They wanted Fitzpatrick because he had the locker room. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I I think I actually think Miami had a, a plan and COVID messed up the plan. I think their plan all along was to start to uh at, right, you know, the game for the bye. After that game, two is the starter, give them two weeks. And then they moved the bye up five weeks on Miami, right? And now it's like, oh, that plan it was supposed to be very late. I think week 11, they moved it up to like week six. And I think that's what happened to Fitzpatrick. So, um, you know, kind of unfortunate, but uh, I th I'd say it's worked out for Miami. I think, I think they're doing just fine. Benjamin Fitzpatrick, I think it's been just fine. Yeah. The other side to that, Fitz has a, a, a clause in his contract that if 
he plays 50% of the snaps, he gets a big bonus. And so there's some chatter that, hey, they pulled him after six games and he played another one seven that we may not see him unless uh, something happens with Tua. Just, you know, why play the, why not play the rookie? But it does tell you Flores has to be in. All right, last question here. I'm going to tee it up for you. Coach of the year candidates. I, I, I think Flores has to be in the conversation considering how well they've done. But I, there's other guys I like better. Reese, who do you like who will kick it to Shane? I think it comes down to – if we're talking about biggest turnaround, biggest difference, it's Flores and Stefanski. I really don't know who I'm – I don't really know who I would vote for at that point, but I know it comes down to one of those two. I think I might – or Ron Revere. Yes. But I think I'm going Stefanski just because of the locker room turnaround, which you could say the same thing about Revere. But the Browns are winning in better division, and they, they have nine wins, and they're – playing the way they want to they are enforcing the games they want to they ran the ball yesterday even though they played the Ravens they can still be effective as long as they don't as long as they keep the ball out of Baker's hands it's hard for me to imagine though Reese you actually think that the AFC North is better than the NFC East that's a shot (laughs) (laughs) I'm just playing yeah you know I I think uh, I think I think I think all that I think that's actually going to be a really interesting award, not just for kind of who deserves it, but it's like you know Ron Rivera's beating cancer. Like, does that say like I mean that that's yeah, that's kind of a big thing to overcome. Does that play into it at all um, if they make if they win the division? You know, may, maybe um, I, you know I think Sean McDermott uh, to me almost deserves it too. Like I, I think you know research choices are good. I think Flores and Stefanski have uh, got to be up there. Wouldn't surprise me, but. Uh, I mean, I think just what the Bills, you know, dominance has been the Josh Allen development, just what this team, um, you know, it's the first time the Patriots have won the division in how long, right? Um, since uh, since the Matt Cavier, I think. So, um, you know, so I, I, I would say that he's up there. Um, I mean, if, if the Chiefs only lose one game, uh, you know, Andy Reid, like, I think it's tough to just say no. Like, I, you know, I know it's, it's almost like Patrick Mahomes and the MVP. It's like, well, they're kind of so good that we, you know, let's give it to someone else, but like they deserve it. They deserve it. Like, you know, it's, it's hard to do after winning a Super Bowl. That's really hard to do. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll go back to the Rams. Like I think Sean McVay does more with a worse roster than almost any co- head coach in the league. Um, and, you know, he, he won't win the award. He won't even be in the top five of the award. But I think when you look uh, on for, I think there's a lot of things that if you you gave Pete Carroll this roster, I don't think they're a nine-win team. Not that Pete Carroll's a bad coach, but I, I just think uh, that you know that's 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 not a way that people look at this award. But I think it'd, it'd be a really interesting way to see. I think that's why someone like Flores Stefanski should be and McDermott should be in the conversation because same thing. I think if you replace that coach with someone mid-tier, um, then you know those teams are probably have less wins. Well. I like your McDermott call, but I, but I believe the reason for Allen's development is more on Brian Dayball, who I do believe should win assistant coach of the year. And I, I think he should, Dayball should win that award, but McDermott not win his award because McDermott's head coach implies the entire team. McDermott's only playing half 
and you can make that same argument, but Flores is putting together complementary football. Stefanski can sometimes put together complementary football. Revere can put together complementary football. We have not seen McDermott put together complementary football. That's what's holding him back a little bit. How about Dayball? He's coaching. He's a head coach next year, isn't he? Absolutely, yeah. He'll, he'll, I think he'll get a job. I said the same thing about Greg Roman last year, though. That's still that's a, that's a <laughs> caveat. You know, what? once again, the problem is how far, you know, it's better for Brian Dayball for the Bills to get knocked out in the second round. I mean, he'll get a head coaching job. Greg Roman would have if the 49ers would have gotten knocked out in the second round. You know, you got to get knocked out early to get that job. And, and, and that's that's the unfortunate part of it because teams just don't like to wait uh, to hire that guy. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I think, and I, you know, I think the Bills um, aren't going to the Super Bowl. Sorry. You know, so I think Brian Devil will, will get a job. Well, Reese is always here to keep me honest. You know, so he's happy to <laughs> put me in my spot. Dane, it's been great having you. And uh, Reese is, you know, pulling his chops with the questions on us. Where can people find your work? Yeah, follow me under uh, Fantasy Draft over there, NFL. Um, I do a podcast, the Debbie Marketplace, wherever you listen to podcasts. We talk, you know, college football, Debbie Players, Dynasty, all that with, with Phil, uh, my co-host over there. Um, and you can, you know, look at my tweet. I have my seven round 2020 mock draft, which I'll be updating pretty soon. And all my rankings for 2021 for 2022 uh, NFL draft as well. I have uh, full positional rankings. So you can check those out. Yep. Shane P. Hallam. There's not a bunch of you on Twitter with that name, is there? Just like T. Bertiller. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, thank you, Shane. Thank you, Reese. You all have a great day and uh, enjoy the last few weeks. Thank you.